This is the Beautiful Writers Podcast. I'm Danielle Laporte, and I'm here with Linda Sievertson, where we are chatting with some of the most amazing authors, publishing leaders, and creatives. Between the two of us, Linda and I have written something like 12 books, including our co-creation, Your Big Beautiful Book Plan. And we're here because we love this game. We love everything about the publishing industry, about getting ideas out into the world and being as creative as you possibly can. This all started with us interviewing some of our favorite agents and fellow authors for a membership group that we have called the Beautiful Writers Group. And because we don't believe friends should let their friends write alone, we are sharing the interviews with you. So for the next 45 minutes, because 45 minutes is a new hour, we will be digging deep and going for the light. Welcome. Hello, everyone. This is Linda Sievertson, and today Danielle Laporte and I are speaking with our friend, the incomparable best-selling author, life coach, and O Magazine columnist, Martha Beck. Hey, Martha. Thanks for playing with us. Howdy. Thanks for asking me. So, Martha, we always start things off with a blessing. Dee, why don't you let her rip, and when you're done, I'll share a few details on Martha's incredible writing career before we dig in. Okay. So really great for everybody listening to take a deep breath in. And here's the declaration. We're here now to give witness to a shared truth that absolutely everything is progress, that we have all that we need, and that brilliance is unfolding here and now. And so it is. So Martha grew up wanting to be an ecologist or a professor. And after bearing three children, she acquired three Harvard degrees. She says she decided she would just rather lie down for a few decades. (laughs) And during that time, she became an author and a life coach. And I'm not so sure I believe that you wrote any of these books lying down, Martha, but your books include Expecting Adam, Leaving the Saints, Finding Your Own North Star, The Joy Diet, Steering by Starlight, and the one I'm currently obsessed with is Finding Your Way in a Wild New World, which is very much about how to access magic. And I know that our listeners are always wanting to tap into magic, especially as it relates to their writing. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, Danielle, do you want to start us? Okay. So, we want to start by talking about magic. We want to know about your favorite shortcuts, and I know you're going to say something like, there are no shortcuts, but if there were in Martha Beckland, are there shortcuts for accelerating the process of getting to your very best work? Oh, yeah. It's something that I got started on a few months ago, and I call it my integrity cleanse. And every huge breakthrough in my life or in forward in development or in career or in anything has come in a renewed commitment to tell the absolute truth at a deeper and deeper and deeper level. I realized, for example, recently that I was doing something, I was tolerating things I didn't like and then making it okay, and that was not in my integrity. So I decided, <laughs> oh, I can't do that anymore. And immediately you get shot forward, and it does. The more honest you are, the more aligned you are with everything real and true. And that's where all the magic comes from. It's weird because magic is really the only true thing. (laughs) So every time you get more honest, you get more magical. Whoa. Mm. I think (laughs) you got got double awe on that one. Every time you get more honest, you get more magical. Whoa. That's so good. That's so heavy good. All right, Martha, best mistake 
career or otherwise? Definitely my son, Adam. Yeah. Came along when I did not want a baby halfway through my doctoral program. I already had one child. So, yeah, he was a mistake, and uh, my whole life seems to be coming unglued. And then he was diagnosed with Down syndrome, but it was already very late in the pregnancy. And, uh, of course, you know, I wrote about him and everything. But do not be afraid if your life seems to be coming apart at the seams because something is going to stitch together a new life for you, and it is going to be so amazing. I mean, that kid, oh, I can't even tell you. He's my little magic machine. <laughs> Magic machine. Uh, a little bronze in master. For those of you who have not read Expecting Adam yet, about that story about you at Harvard teaching and becoming pregnant and having to deal with, you know, a lot of people telling you to abort this magical creature, that book is riveting. So if you haven't read it, go get it. Not on board with Down syndrome when I got the diagnosis. I was just too, you know, I loved my baby. I wasn't going to judge him just because he was different. Yeah. It wasn't like I was some virtuous, fabulous person who wants to work with the developmentally disabled. I mean, there are people like that, and they're going straight to heaven, but I was not one of them. (laughs) So it doesn't have to be something virtuous sounding or that you like. Very often, the thing that is very best for you feels terrible. So I'm just saying. Mm. Mm. Okay, Marcia, do you have a centering practice before you write? Do you pray before you write? How do you anchor in? What's it look like? I do a couple of things. I meditate every day just as a matter of course for like an hour. And what I really do is I read. I have like an array of books that motivate me. And it's like being in the company of great writers. And it's odd. It's like Dave Barry is there along with Shakespeare. And so I'll read like a little bit from, you know, Mary Oliver. I'll just throw a few people together. And then I sit down and write as though I'm responding to them. And they're my writing group. And they're going to read my work. So I better make Whoa. it up. And okay, that's hot. It just makes me want to write. Oh, that's so hot. You've created this magical writing group. Yeah, you can have a writing group with people who are dead. (laughs) And yet they never cancel on you. Oh, I love it. You don't have to feed them. You don't have to text each other to see if you're on their way. They're just there. Great. Email, nothing. They're dead. They're always available. Very efficient. (laughs) Very efficient. Mary isn't dead. Yeah, I shouldn't yeah. say that. Neither is Stephen mm-hmm. King. I like to read Stephen King, too. I like to throw together everybody. Mm-hmm. Love it. So when was your first I did it, I pulled it off moment? When I turned four. <laughs> four? <laughs> Actually, I just remember thinking, oh, my God, I just haven't got enough done. I'm almost four. Seriously. What's happening to me now? <laughs> Basically, I've never, ever thought I did it. I pulled it off. <laughs> I literally never looked back. I, like, never picked up a paper that I handed in in college. It was done. It was over. I was always just on to the next thing. Wow. So, you know, yeah. that brings up something interesting, Martha. You and I share a bestie. You actually call her bestie. Her name is Betsy Rappaport. <laughs> and one of the last times I was at her place in New York, she said, hey, did you realize that Martha painted these? And she started showing me your paintings throughout the house. I had no idea they were yours. And what blew my mind about them is that they were so, you know, I grew up in art galleries. My father was an art collector. His best friends were all painters and musicians. And I was looking at these paintings thinking, how does somebody who is so effective as a writer, so blessed and brilliant as a writer, have that same level of talent? I mean, really, your paintings are so beautiful. I thought, how does she do that? And, you know, now I've found out you're writing a novel And, you know, I've always thought of you as a memoirist and a self-help writer. And now you're a novelist and it's like, WTF, Martha, 
Like, how does that happen? I think I have a disorder. I really do. I think I have a disorder. I mean, right now I am sitting in my walk-in closet painting, painting, and just driving myself crazy because I cannot get this new style of glazing. And my back is killing me because I've been up nights and, like, the house gets dirty, and I go between writing and painting or playing, whatever, you know? You're, you're a musician too, right? But I get these obsessions, and I can not stop. I literally think there's a diagnosis for this. <sighs> but the thing is, if you just hammer away at something, if you just obsessively try to get something to work, and you can't put it down, and you can't stop, and actually it's deeply, deeply rewarding for me. Yeah. It's about the process of learning, and it's about gratitude for the beauty of the world and the desperate need to communicate that beauty from within my own perspective, because I'm just obsessed with sharing the beauty of the world with other people. And I don't know what it is, but I do think it borders on madness. Thank you for the compliments. <laughs> I'm going to give you a diagnosis now. I think we should call it obsessive, loving renaissanceitis. Oh! <gasps> I actually had a psychologist come into my house and look at all these paintings because I grew up just drawing and drawing and drawing and sticking things on the wall with thumbtacks, like at ankle level. And then I just kept doing it as I got older and switched media. And the psychologist came into my house and looked at the paintings and goes, you're really possessed by the demons. I'm like, no, I just think things are pretty. Wow. (laughs) You know, that makes me feel a little bit better. I don't have it in mixed media, but I woke up this morning at 3 a.m. and I'm working on a book and I couldn't sleep because the pages were flying through my head. And I thought, damn it, I am like 51 years old. I have been doing this for 30 years now. When am I going to get a good night's sleep? And then I started laughing at myself. I thought, well, wait a minute. This is how you're prolific. This is how you get things done. You shouldn't be mad at the muse for waking you up. But it does feel like a bit of an, it's insanity. At least to me, when I'm waking up at 3 a.m. with it, it does feel insane. But don't you feel like, I mean, I do actually believe there's something driving us all. And to be completely serious, there's Betsy, our beloved Betsy, was just telling me she just read a YA novel from a new author who paralleled what I wrote in my novel almost exactly. So the novel was an obsession, which came from my tracking animal obsession. Apparently, this woman I've never met who's written a completely different book for a different age group wrote down almost the same plot. Whoa. It's really, really odd. (laughs) That's just starting to converge, you guys. Don't you think so? Do you see that? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, the good old morphogenic field. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, switching gears, best advice you've been given along the journey. And so the advice can be in the creativity artistic category, or it can be the best business advice anybody gave you that you listened to. All of it came from a wonderful therapist who just at a time when I was completely melting down, just looked at me and said, trust yourself. And I really have nothing to add to that. (laughs) And yet Mm -hmm. I keep writing books. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay, right. then, then let's go for the business one, though. So what's the best business advice you've ever been given for this, uh, like, the whole, the industry of publishing? Um, nobody's ever really given me that much business advice that I took. Mm-hmm. And it's not do what you love, the money will follow, because I've done a ton of stuff that I loved, and the money did not follow, so I wouldn't, not always. I would say, okay, here it is, and I don't know, this just always seemed apparent to me. However you feel creating something and selling it, that's how the person receiving it is going to feel when they receive it. So if you're creating a business product and you're in love with it, you will not have to sell it hard because people will actually beat down the door to find you. That's been my experience. Like I never, Mm -hmm. ever marketed as a life coach. It just sort of happened. (gasps) 
Oh, you know what? That reminds me, Martha. One day I was talking with Betsy. This was years ago. And I had taken six months off to write. And I wanted to get back into the groove. And I was a little afraid that maybe my editing clients would dry up since I had disappeared for a while. And I said, hey, Bets, how does Martha do it? Does she like heavily market herself? What does she do? And I think she said something about how, no, she just puts the order out to the universe and they come. Is that true? Did I get it right? When somebody asked me what my marketing strategy was, and I honestly answered concealment and evasion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dead serious. I'm always just, I'm like, leave me alone, I'm painting. Leave me alone, I'm writing. I'm like the worst curmudgeon in the world. And I think it's because I'm so obsessed with what I'm doing that I really would do it alone, and I'm just engrossed by it. There's something about that maybe that does put the energy out to the world. But I'm always enthralled. Thrall used to mean the chain that they would put around a slave's neck. So it's not necessarily a positive connotation, but there's a sense of being enthralled by something. Like, I am captured by this thing, and I don't want to look away, and I can't look away if I try. And it seems to project somehow. I've tried to codify it for other people, but for me, it is an experience of rapture. That's all it is. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I was going to ask, like, the opposite side of rapture, maybe, maybe, maybe not, is about productivity. Maybe being productive makes you rapturous. But do you think about, do you think in terms of productivity? And we all have deadlines once we enter into deals, but. I used to. And then, you know, I've just gotten to a place in my own practice of, you could call it self-help, where I feel so aligned with some kind of power in the universe that deadlines no longer, I know that they're there, they come and they go, I'm meeting them more consistently than ever, but I really spend all my time aligning myself with this extraordinary joy. And I was meditating the other day and thinking, do I have a disorder? I was really honestly like asking God, am I sick? Should I go to a hospital? And the answer I got was, no, what you're feeling is what will come to replace the job in society this sort of rocket ride of rapture. and Which is revolutionary, actually. Productivity happens because of that. But when you're on the rocket ride, productivity is not an issue that comes up. The absolute ecstasy of it is what's apparent all the time. And the frustration and the want to tear your hair out because it's not working yet. That's all part of it. Does this sort of align with your talking about how things are fluid now? There are no sort of set ways to do anything in the in the world. Everything is sort of becoming fluid. Yeah, my doctorate was in sociology, and I looked at social change and the change in our social roles, and I just saw everything falling apart. And it's so interesting because it's finally doing it. Like, I knew 30 yeah. years ago, 20 years ago, when I got my doctorate, I was like, ooh, hold on to your hat because things are going to get a little wild here. And they're getting a little wild. We just did a seminar with our horses at my ranch and with some people from a huge corporation, like massive global corporation. And they're like, everything's falling apart. I was like, really? You know, because I've been waiting and watching. Really? <laughs> okay, it was like, be quick and mobile and fluid because that's how the world is. And they were all over it. Mm-hmm. So then does your daily schedule, let's say you're on a deadline. And yeah. you're, I don't know, have you already sold your novel? You know what? I started a publishing company. Oh, <laughs> okay, how cool. 
so my friends from Africa could publish some of their books in America. Oh. And then, like, halfway through this novel, I thought, I'm always preaching that large monolithic industries are collapsing and that you have to be an independent, like, yep. <laughs> entrepreneurial marketer. And it felt worse and worse and worse, even in regard to the content, to publish it through the old system. So I had my own publishing company, and I decided I'm going to do this myself and try to do it a different new way, and I'm wow. really excited about it. Oh, my gosh. You and Danielle are so on something together here. All right. So do you have some semblance of a schedule when you're working on a book? Can oh, I, sure. can and I, I have see my, what your daily you know, life looks like? For magazine, so I have deadlines every month. And stuff right. Like yeah. So what does a day in the life of Martha on deadline look like? I get up early enough to meditate for a full hour. I do not rush that. And that is, by the way, not a virtue. It's because I got hungry. I just wanted to. So I do that. And then I set my alarm for an hour. And I work on each project for an hour. And then I switch activities completely every hour, especially if I'm on deadline. Because I found out that I lull into inactivity if I get bored or if I feel too, like, forced. I used to do a lot of all-nighters and force myself through things, and I found out that is not effective. But if I only work on something for an hour and then I do something joyful, so I'll get up, I'll write for an hour, I'll paint for an hour, walk the dog for an hour. I do things I love and I do them for an hour. And if I just keep that up, it all gets done. Now, what happens if you're painting for an hour and you're so blissed out that you don't want to stop? Do you make yourself stop? <laughs> Good luck. Usually, if I... <laughs> I literally will get up with my morning cup of coffee, say, I'm just going to fix one thing on that painting, and literally it's 3 p.m. before I look up again. Right. So in those cases, you'd think that that would make me not make my deadlines, wouldn't you? I know this sounds so bizarre, you guys, but it just gets done. It's really weird. It wasn't always this way. It really is. I've been, like, thinking and talking about magic so much. It feels so weird and effortless now, and deadlines just get met. I don't know how it's working. <laughs> it is. I wish I could tell you something that other people could use, but I literally can just say, go into the rapture, everything else seems to work by itself. That's very inspirational. It actually, it takes a lot of courage to go there because, you know, I talked about, this is what I would call, this is like a miracle mindset, really. You're going to enter in that space where miracles happen, where you bend time, where just the right idea comes at just the right time. And I've tried to explain this to people. And if you're like so addicted to deliverables and metrics that you can measure all that, like you kind of get that glazed look. Like if I don't have a schedule, I don't understand what you're saying to me. Like, how is this going to get done if I'm just joyful? And you say, no, really, <laughs> really, it works. You try it. To, yeah, you have to try it. You have it. to try it. And it has changed. It's gotten more that way. And I don't think it's just me because I've talked to a lot of other people, uh -huh. some of whom don't have never heard of me, and they're all kind of feeling it. There's a magic afoot, you guys. And if you jump on, it takes you. And then it takes you right across the finish line, illogically enough. Okay, so this is the uh, part of the program where we switch to multiple choice, rapid fire. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, acoustic or electric? Acoustic. Sleep or sex? Sleep. Fiction or nonfiction? Both. They are the same thing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so true. Great. Best answer ever. Like a paper day planner with pen and ink or digital? Digital. Other people do it. I don't do it. Yeah, me neither. Do you have a favorite angel or a favorite deity? The whole movement. The entirety of all physical fluctuation in the physical universe. That about covers it. 
<laughs> very, very encompassing. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Oh, milk chocolate. That dark chocolate shit has got to go. I know. It's so hoity-toity. Just <laughs> me and tell me. Milk. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, go for the milk. All right, last one, New York or L.A.? Neither. <laughs> okay. Um, woods. Woods. Okay. And not multiple choice, but a question I want to ask you. How do you feel when you're on stage? Absolutely calm. The one place I'm absolutely calm. So when you look back in, say, the last five years, what do you yeah. think is the best habit you've embraced in any area of your life? Just best habit. Integrity. Mm-hmm. Waiting to know what's true and only doing that, only saying that ever. Mm-hmm. Being the same one person in every area of my life. Okay, so can we drill down a little bit deeper on that one? Sure, yeah. I had a woman come to one of my writing retreats, and she is a therapist, and her big thing is integrity. And yet, she was so honest with people at the retreat that every once in a while, she hurt somebody's feelings. (laughs) And she was a really nice woman, but she just was so intent on being integritous that every once in a while, it came off wrong. Right. How do you negotiate that one? Well, you know, some people actually will try to manipulate situations so that you can't tell the truth without hurting their feelings. They want the, the answer that they want <laughs> to them. They can actually engineer it so it's awkward for you to tell the truth. Mm. And for a while, I let that throw me. And then I realized I was being manipulated, even though people don't necessarily know they're doing it. And then I realized there are cases in which you have to hurt people's feelings. That said, it's very rare and nothing unkind ever turns out to be true and nothing untrue ever turns out to be kind. And that is why you're Martha Beck. I mean, that's such a brilliant sort of getting underneath it. People will set it up and you're going to hurt their feelings and that's that. Here's another favorite thing that I came up with when I was writing. It was, I wrote something about, I have this spiritual take on life and I was about to write, you know, if you don't agree with me, there are other ways to look at it. And I wrote, if you don't agree with me, and I ended up writing, I respectfully do not care. (laughs) 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 Respectfully not care. Give a crap sometimes. Has any of this rubbed off, do you think, from your son, who I imagine is incapable of bullshit? Yeah, he really is. You're right. And it's not just that he's genetically different. He's an unusual human being, and he tells the absolute truth, you know, and his sweet little friend from Phoenix will call him, and his friend also has Down syndrome, and we all feel so bad that we left, and he's alone, and we're like, do you want to talk to him? And he's like, no. That's so shocking. He's like, don't want to. Why would he want me to talk to him when I don't feel like it? Oh, my God. It's bracing, I'll tell you that. Wow. As a recovering codependent, I marvel at that. Yeah, you really, it's a place that you really have to go because if you have any hitches in your integrity, the thing is, if you want that energy to take you, it will take you and it will take you fast. But wherever you are attached to something that is not the ultimate truth for you, you get ripped apart. So you have to be incredibly clear and clean to travel fast and to trust the magic to take you. Because it'll take you. And if you're not in complete harmony with your truth, that'll be a painful experience. What's your favorite creative baby? Like of all the books you've birthed, what's your favorite? It may be the one I just finished. I really think it may be. Expecting Adam was my favorite actually the only book I ever intended to write. But this one that I just wrote that has yet to be published is, it shocked me. I mean, things about it surprised me so much. And it was such a weird, magical joyride writing it. 
that I have to say right now is my favorite. Tell me about your ranch. What does it feel like there? It's completely enchanted. I started seeing it not in a vision or anything, but I would wake up for like 20 years. I'd wake up in the morning. I would think that when I opened my eyes and looked out the window, I would see this ranch. And I knew everything it looked like. And then I would open my eyes and think, why am I not there? It just was confounding. It wasn't a dream. It just kept happening. And it got more and more detailed. And finally, I just felt this overwhelming impulse. It's time. Go find it. And all I had to do was look up online all the things that I already knew were on this ranch. And there was only one ranch for sale that had all of them. And then I got here and it was like, this is it. It was weird. It was to the point of being almost frightening. It felt so enchanting, but delicious. Yeah. And has, an it, has it matched your vision living it's, there? That it matched my vision. It's the same place. It just is the same place. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know that tree. I know that horse. I know it's just, it's what I've been seeing for. It's like I saw through a gap in time or something. It was very weird. Linda has an ulterior motive for asking that question. She just bought a ranch. I know. You were telling me buy a ranch, and it's in, it sounds amazing. Oh, my gosh. My fiancé yesterday was mapping out all the post holes that we're going to have to put in to do the amount of fencing that we want to do for the horses, and it was 1,700 post holes. And I said, baby, you're going to hire somebody to do that, right? And he said, no, it's going to be a blast. I'm thinking, I'm, and I actually told him, talk about integrity. I actually told him, you know I'm not helping you with that, right? (laughs) He was like, yeah, I already got Billy to do it. They have some kind of a tractor with a post hole digger on it. Uh, I slightly worry that people out there, when we start talking about buying ranches, we kind of lose most people because they're like, you can buy a freaking ranch. I can't buy groceries, you know? And I just want to say, this is not something I thought of as a financial possibility for me. The whole thing happened quasi-miraculously, and I was flat broke 10 years before I bought it. So, you know. Me too. I lost my first ranch to foreclosure. Really? Oh, God, and that was only a couple of years ago. Yeah, in my divorce, we had a place in New Mexico. And, yeah, the house and five acres, I was able to keep the land, which is probably worth nothing right now, as there's very little water out there and there's beetle kill in the forest. But, boy, I lost the house and five acres in a total risky gamble thinking I was going to be able to keep it. And I have a nice, beautiful foreclosure on my credit report. These things happen. I mean, I moved here and immediately it hasn't rained since. You know, the whole thing appears to be dying. Yeah, I sometimes feel like I married someone who was diagnosed with terminal cancer the next day. It was like, yeah. you know. So there's always an interesting challenge to one's faith that comes after a miracle. Right. <laughs> and that's of it. There's always a symmetrical pattern, and it teaches you not to attach to what you've created. Oh, that's so true. Well, I think we should continue down a downward spiral, though. <laughs> Martha, what's your biggest regret, creative, business, or otherwise? Wow, you know, I really don't do regret. I really do not do regret. I think it's that I thought I had to force my children to go to normal school. (laughs) I actually believe that was the education system of a dying order, and I should have just let them do whatever the hell they wanted. This is my girls, not my son. He did whatever the hell he wanted. Right. (laughs) Right. So even after getting three degrees from Harvard, you say Mm -hmm. just do the hell whatever you want. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's what the degree is for, to say, well, I've checked in all the places they told me things were hiding. Yeah. There's really nothing there. Go do whatever the hell you want. So your North Star, 
Has it changed over the years, or is it the same as it was 10, nope. 20 years ago? Always been the same thing. I am obsessed with the nature of reality and the transformation of human consciousness, and everything, everything, everything has always driven toward that. All I care about, really, bottom line. Beautiful. All right. Uh, final yard. Martha, what's your song that still has to be sung? have to get it out of you. It'll have to be sung. Well, the book that I just wrote is the first of a trilogy, and it's about the enlightenment of the divine feminine, which is then followed by the transformation of a significant number of people to a different way of thinking, to a more awakened way of thinking. So I guess as that goes forward, I don't know what it is, but I have always felt it. I suspect you guys have too. And I will sing it as it is given me to sing. You know, Martha, I just remembered something about, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago. I don't even know if you remember this, but you were reviewing a column that I had worked on and I was trying to sell to O Magazine. It was a green, I think it was called Green Giants or something where I was going to interview green celebrities on the cutting edge of, you know, climate change. And you were helping me and I had a dream. I never told you about this, but I had a dream one night where Oprah came to me and we had already submitted it. And I think I got word that it was kind of at the top at that point. I got word that they were having meetings about it and they were seriously considering it. And I had a dream and Oprah came to me and she hugged me and she said, it's not time. And I woke up and I rolled over and I looked at my now ex-husband and I said, they're going to reject it today. Aww. And But I knew it was okay because the dream was so loving, it felt that it was the perfect situation. So I really wasn't even disappointed. I got rejected that day. I guess they didn't want a sixth column, I think, at the time. But at any rate, that dream brought me such peace to an mm. otherwise, what would have been an extremely stressful situation. I heard a dream that you spoke of about Londolosi and your son. Do you care to share that before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, it has to do with this idea that it's time for humans to create some sort of personal individual transformation, which will then sort of fractalize into a different way of living in the world that will help us, for example, not destroy the ecosystems on which our lives depend. So when Adam was one, I'd been doing speech therapy with him. He never did. I knew he'd never speak clearly, and he didn't say a word the first four years of his life. But I worked with him desperately hard almost out of guilt because I had this feeling he'd never speak. So he'd never talked. He was one year old. I fell asleep next to him. And I, before I fell asleep, I said, just tell me why you're even here. Like, why would someone who may never speak, may never think, you know, may have this blighted life, which I thought he would have, why would you even be here? What's the purpose of you coming here? And I fell asleep and I had never been to Africa But I had a dream that I was in a room with a young man who gave me a piece of paper, and on it were all these moving images of animals. And I didn't know it, but all of them were African animals. There were penguins, which threw me off, because I didn't know there were penguins in Africa. And then I knew that I was talking to my son's spirit. I didn't know that I would later see every single scene from the dream when I went to this place in Africa called Vondelosi that I fell in love with. But it was about the restoration of the world and the animals. And I got the feeling, you know, he wasn't even there. He was telling me he isn't even there for human beings in the way that I think of it. He's really more here for the earth itself, which totally baffled me at the time. I was not thinking this way. And he gave me a piece of paper at the end and the drawings all turned into a line of text in some language I'd never seen. 
But I remembered it in English when I woke up. And I didn't say it out loud. I didn't even write it down for many years because it was, I don't know, it freaks me out a little still. And I worry that people think it's bizarre. But (laughs) it went like this. It said, the earth cries like a child and the blood of the animals is the blood of innocence. You having lost your innocence cannot hear the cries of the blood as it beats in your own ears. It is to answer those cries that I have come as I have come. Oh, my God. I know. I, I was like, oh. Wow. And let me tell you, when we got there, and he, I mean, he still, he still, uh, he tells me what the animals in the forest, are. he told me the camera I put up, uh, I put up camera traps around my ranch, and he came and told me, there's a bear in the forest who wants you to take those down. He says it nearly blinded him last night. Oh I went out and got the chip, and sure enough, this young black bear had come right up to the camera and a little red light goes on oh no to put their or hurt their eyes but you see his nose and then he puts one eye and then the other right up to the light <laughs> daggers away completely blind <laughs> oh my gosh so there's ways i can check that he's actually not just blowing smoke this kid is on a different oh that's wavelength. incredible well back to magic right yeah, I never left. <laughs> right. Oh, thank you so much, Martha. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, guys. Keep up the great work. I love what you guys do. Oh, I love it, too. And people can find you at MarthaBeck.com. Is there anything else you want them to know? Tell them to trust themselves. <laughs> Martha, for your wit, uh, your fire, and your deep experience, we bow. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. To hear more of our chats and find out how we can support you on your writing journey, head over to beautifulwriterspodcast.com, where you can subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Danielle and I are so grateful you've spent your time with us. Until next time, write on. <laughs>